she became an assassin as a teenager. She was so ruthless that even her gangster boyfriend thought she was too much. Among the many stories that exist in the world of drug trafficking, there are a few that have caused great terror even for the organized crime groups themselves. Some of the most dangerous narcos in South America have been women. Imagine women too violent for cartel members. Hey y'all, I'm Christina, and you're listening to History and Hearsay. In my last few episodes, we've been talking about some pretty inspiring people, but for the next several episodes, we'll be delving into the world of the dark and mysterious and talking about some of the bad girls. Everything in today's video is alleged, as the subjects of today's video may have never been convicted of these crimes or even got their chance at a day in court. Also, I apologize in advance for many of the mispronunciations that I'm sure are coming in this video. I don't speak Spanish, and when it comes to pronouncing Announcing names, I'm literally the worst. Melissa Margarita Calderon Oyeda or La China is the epitome of looks can be deceiving. Melissa was born August 12, 1984 in Mexico, and by the time she was 20, she had already decided the path she wanted to take in life. Melissa was going to be a cartel leader, and she would do whatever it took to get there. And in 2005, she joined the Damasio cartel. She was known to be ambitious and extremely ruthless. And while she was even more aggressive than many of her male counterparts, She also had an ace up her sleeve when it came to using her feminine charm to climb the ranks. Melissa very quickly became known as the most powerful woman in the Sinaloa cartel. In 2008, she was appointed head of hitmen for the special forces of Los Damasio. And according to the British newspaper Daily Mail, as soon as she took over, the crime rate in that area tripled. She was so violent that the stories of her escapades caused great terror, even for the other cartel members. She became the most feared hit woman in the world of drug traffickers in Mexico. And it's said that the Sinaloa cartel itself held her in great respect. She was so extremely violent that she actually shocked the other criminals in her gang. She was known to kill cops, kidnap people for extortion, and even dismembered rival gang members. According to one of her former boyfriends, Pedro Gomez, who went by El Chino, Melissa would murder anyone who got in the way of her plans, and her signature move was to dismember them and then throw the pieces outside their family's homes. Lachina and her unit are believed to have been responsible for at least 150 deaths. In 2014, after a fallout with her current gang, Melissa rallied 300 cartel soldiers and started a brand new cartel with her boyfriend, El Chino, as her second in command. Melissa then started an internal war against her former group. And at this point, she took things up a notch. And it was said that every turf war turned into a complete massacre. Obviously, this sudden increase in violence got the attention of the police, and they were fast on her trail. So, Latina had to go on the run, and she was constantly moving from town to town. And to continue to go undetected by police, she had to change her car pretty frequently. So, one day, she sent one of her men to go and get her a new car. He arranged for a couple of vendors to actually deliver the car to her. But when they arrived... Lachina took them out because she didn't want to have to pay for the car. The guy who had connected her with the vendors for the car was so upset about it that he threatened to go to the police. So what does Lachina do? Well, she cuts off his forearms, shoots him in the head, and buries him in a mass grave. Her own man. At this point, her boyfriend, El Chino, was like, "Uh uh-uh, 
no, I am out of here, man. That is just too much. He couldn't take her violence anymore, and he probably was worried that he was going to be next, honestly. That's what I was thinking. So not long after El Chino hightailed it out of there, he was actually caught and arrested by the police. At this point, he just starts telling the police everything. He's like, you know what? I am, I'm not, nothing to do with this. I don't want no part of La China. He tells the police he's completely appalled by the monster she's become and that she is just out of control. His story is corroborated by another cartel member and so the police negotiate a plea deal with El Chino if he will give up his former girlfriend's location and share the locations of where they've buried a lot of their victims. And in exchange for all of this information, the police will give El Chino a lighter sentence. So... In September 20th, 2015, after six previous failed arrests, the police finally catch up to Lachina while she was at the airport actually trying to flee. And Lachina was sent to prison where she would spend the rest of her life. A journalist who followed Lachina's story summed up her life in three simple but powerful words, drug trafficking, love, and death. Death being her greatest passion in her criminal profession. Maria Guadalupe Lopez Esquivel, otherwise known as La Catrina, was a daughter of a rancher and a housewife. Her parents were known as respectable people and unlike the others we've talked about today, she actually seemed like she was set up to have a normal life. But it said that she hated school and she was not at all interested in pursuing a regular life. So she chose to pursue the life of an Instagram model and cartel leader, even going on to lead a notorious hit squad that left a bloodbath behind everywhere they went. It all started when teenage Maria fell in love with high-ranking cartel member Miguel Fernandez. And in 2017, she ran away from home to go and live with Miguel and several other members of the Juan Loscio New Generation Cartel, or CJNG for short. Now, according to reports, Maria didn't just join the cartel for love of Miguel. She actually really loved the fame and the money that came from this lifestyle. And because she was dating a high-ranking member of the cartel, this meant Maria was given the opportunity to climb the ranks very quickly. And pretty soon, she was earning those big bucks. She started showing off her luxurious lifestyle on Instagram by posting sexy photos of herself with fancy cars, armed men, and even posing with weapons. Apparently, glamorous women known as Sicarias or hit women have become famous on social media in recent years where they show off their ill-gotten gains of their bloodthirsty lifestyles, posing in designer clothes with expensive weapons. Maria was one such woman. She started to grow a large following on her social media as a Sakara, And this is when she took on the nickname La Katrina, which means Dame of Death. Now, La Katrina is also a famous figure from the Day of the Dead festival. And some have compared the figure to the Grim Reaper. So she worked her way up until she was leading her own gang full of Sicarias. Young, pretty, female soldiers who use their beauty and innocent looks to lure and kill members of rival gangs. One of the many ways that they would carry out these assignments was by having one of the girls pretend to be hurt and be in need of assistance. And then when the intended target would stop to help her, another member of the gang would ambush them completing the mission. So in the cartels, there are many different levels of bosses and leaders of like individual groups and gangs. And sometimes you'll hear there were a big leader, but none of the articles I found really explained the hierarchy of how it works. And obviously I'm not versed on it. However, with La Katrina, it was specified that she was actually a regional lieutenant for her cartel, which is a pretty big deal. So her job was actually make sure that all of her fellow assassins got paid. And she also was in charge of carrying out extortions and kidnapping. Maria and her group of assassins 
Americans were known to be incredibly violent. In fact, the cartel she was a part of is actually known to be one of the most violent of all known groups. This cartel is actually known for relieving people from their heads, if you catch my drift, and then actually hanging the rest of their bodies from bridges. I actually saw some pretty disturbing uh, photos of what these guys are doing out there. And let me tell you guys, there's nothing funny about it. There's nothing glamorous about it. It's actually pretty sickening. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration is currently offering a $10 million reward for information that leads to the capture of the CJNG's current leader, El Mencio, which this is the highest reward of its kind that's ever been offered. La Katrina and her gang are credited for several assassinations, extortions, and kidnapping. In October 27, 17, Mexican police were delivering a warrant at a home when La Katrina's squad ambushed them. They killed 13 officers and injured many others. Then they set two police cars on fire. It appeared that La Katrina felt untouchable and she wanted war with the police. They were able to pin this on La Katrina because officers actually heard her voice over the radio giving the orders to kill. Stopping La Katrina became extremely high on officials' priority list and on October 10th, 2020, the National Guard got a tip of her location and officers descended on her safe house. A violent shootout took place and this time it was La Katrina's squad that was on the losing end. During the attack, La Katrina had been shot in the jugular. The officers put all her men on their knees while they took her to the waiting helicopter. There's actually photos and videos of the raid if you guys want to go look at that. You can hear one of the officers telling her it's going to be okay, you're going to make it, you're going to be all right. But by the time they got La Katrina to the hospital, she had already lost a lot of blood and she died shortly after arriving. She was only 21 years old. Those that live by the sword, well, you guys know the rest. Was born April 12, 1961 in Sinaloa into a family of traffickers. She had six or seven brothers and three or four sisters. I saw conflicting information on both of those numbers. Her nickname was La Jefa, which means the boss. In 1977, when she was 16 years old, she wanted to be a beauty queen. And she was actually almost about to get the chance to fulfill that dream by becoming queen of the carnival. But her brothers, Benjamin and Ramon, were already wanted by U.S. and Mexican authorities at this time. And her family wouldn't allow her to attend the coronation because they feared this type of spotlight would be bad for the family. While her brothers worked for the cartel, Edna Dina got her bachelor's degree in accounting. Her brothers continue to rise to power in the cartel and are considered the founders of the Tijuana cartel. But her brothers left a bloody trail behind them, bribing public and police officials and torturing and killing the ones who wouldn't take their bribes. Because of this, they became some of the most wanted men in Mexico. And being so high profile, five of her seven brothers were eventually either captured or killed. One of the brothers died in a shootout with cops and it's actually said that El Chapo himself took credit for the murder saying that he had actually bribed corrupt cops to take him out. According to El Chapo's former accountant, he said that Ramon had actually killed a lot of El Chapo's men and it brought El Chapo great pleasure to have the hit carried out. Another of her brothers was actually killed by a clown, which that has to be embarrassing. I mean, it was actually an assassin dressed as a clown, but still. Once so many of the founding members were either dead or behind bars, many people declared that the Tijuana cartel was also dead. But Edna Dina rose to the occasion and became what officials say was possibly the first woman to ever run an entire cartel. Now, as we previously mentioned, some of them have been leaders of smaller groups of the cartel, but she's the only one except for Sandra Avila Beltran, which I have a video coming on her, so stay tuned for that. I'll link it once it's up. Other than Sandra, Edna Dina, 
account is probably the first or only one to actually head up an entire cartel. But unlike her brothers and the other women we've discussed here today, Lehefa was not violent. She was actually known for her rational and methodic approach to business. She was considered cold, but calculated. There are rumors that she had laundered money for her brothers many years before she actually took over the cartel. But because she keeps such a low profile, there's actually not a lot of information out there about her. And there really aren't even any families of her except for the few family photos I'm showing you guys that are from the 1980s. Her accounting background makes her very well equipped to run international trafficking rings. And she prefers to do that without all the bloodshed and confrontation that marked her brother's reigns. This more peaceful approach has allowed her and her sons to stay out of harm's way working in the shadows and her non-violent approach also means she's not a priority for the DEA or the Mexican authorities even though she is La Jefa and allegedly still runs one of the biggest Mexican cartels to this day. Jocelyn Alejandro Nino or La Flaca. Jocelyn's exact date of birth is not known but she was born sometime in the 1990s in northeastern Mexico. Like most others in that area she was raised in poverty. It's unclear if her family had ties to the cartel or if she just chose illegal activity simply as a means to escape poverty. Nevertheless, it is said that Jocelyn became an active member of the Gulf Cartel at a very young age. And by the time she was high school age, she was already an assassin for the group. This is when she earned her nickname La Flaca, which means the skinny one. Apparently there's been a string of sicarias to use this name. And while Jocelyn was a small person, it's more likely that she got this name from the Mexican Day of the Dead festival skeleton, Saint La Flaca, which means Our Lady of Holy Death. Now, if you watch a lot of TV, and especially if you're younger, you may think it sounds pretty awesome to be a teenage assassin. But in reality, there's nothing cool about that lifestyle. Not only did she take a lot of lives under the orders of her ruthless bosses, but life in the cartel really is not good at all. We don't really know how she rose in the ranks so quickly to become an assassin so young. But most young girls like her start out being lookouts for the gang or even illegal street workers. They're mistreated in every way imaginable. But even for the lucky few who are able to get the opportunity to possibly have some type of authority, it's still not all money and fame. And many of them really are not even paid that well. And this became very apparent in 2015 when someone leaked a photo of Jocelyn to a citizen's journalist website. Now, this website was meant specifically for outing members members of organized crimes groups. It is believed that the photo was purposely leaked in hopes that either the police would arrest her or that a rival gang would take her out. The picture quickly made the rounds on Facebook and Twitter and people were very intrigued by the small young girl with a beautiful smile but wearing a bulletproof vest and holding a very large weapon. Everyone wanted to know who she was. People started questioning if she was someone of importance but what people found even more intriguing was the background of the photo. She was obviously in a very poor looking area, but wasn't the reward for all of their dangerous criminal activities that these cartel members get to live in the lap of luxury, people started having discussions about the realities of what life as a cartel assassin might actually look like. And they started to question, was it worth risking your own life and taking the life of others only to continue to live in poverty? This photo allowed people to see behind the curtain at the realities of cartel life. Like I mentioned earlier in this video, it really seems like the life of luxury we see on TV is really only a reality 
reality for top dogs inside of the cartel. Meanwhile, the little guys who are actually the ones doing all the dirty work get left out in the cold. During the time that this photo of La Flaca went viral, her gang was actually at war with another gang. Not only was her photo released, but they also released her gang affiliation and her location. And to add another layer to this entire thing, La Flaca was required to go into enemy territory and fight on a daily basis because of this war that they had going on. Several other members of her group were also ousted on the website, and this really weakened their game. It made them all pretty easy targets, and it didn't take long for this to catch up to them. On April 13th, 2015, police officers discovered La Flaca's dismembered body inside of an ice chest in a parking lot. There was also the body of a female who had met the same fate, and a man who had also been decapitated. Throughout the day, the police continued to find more and more of her scattered all across town in plastic bags. More than likely, this rival gang was trying to get information from La Flaca before they killed her because the autopsy confirmed that she had been tortured and then shot before she was dismembered. They were actually only able to identify La Flaca by the tattoo that had been on her arm, the tattoo that said Nina, which was her family name, but also means child. And it's really sad to think she wasn't much more than a child when she died. She was estimated to be somewhere between 18 and 22. So the rival gang that did this actually took her photos and posted them all over Twitter with threatening messages to everyone else in her faction. One of the captions on the gruesome photos said, this will happen to all the filthy who support the Los Salones. Keep sending these. In all of these stories, the one thing that really strikes me is the total disregard for human life. It's so heartbreaking for me to see these young people who maybe are attracted to the fame and money, or maybe they're just joining the cartel because they think that's like the best way that they can protect themselves and their families. None of the websites where I was doing my research mentioned the innocent bystanders, but we've all heard the stories of families getting stuck in the crossfires of gang wars or young people being kidnapped, trafficked, or forced to fight. If you're a young person watching this and you think that anything about this industry is cool or glamorous, I hope I was able to shed a little bit of light on the realities behind the curtain. Going out in a blaze of gunfire is not as glorious as Hollywood might make it appear. Death is permanent. You don't get to respawn. You'll have people like the Queen of the Pacific who say that there's nothing wrong with this trade because everyone has a choice to be a part of it or not. But that simply isn't true. The drug industry leaves a great trail of destruction in its wake. There are many parents who no longer have their children and sadly thousands of children out there without parents because of gang violence or addiction. Those children did not get a choice in becoming orphans and those parents, they never got a say in outliving their children. I wish I had a more positive note to leave this on, but I hope you guys found this video interesting. Leave me a comment below and let me know what you thought. Maybe you learned something in today's video. Don't forget to subscribe on your way out. Okay.